Well, good morning, Hope City Church. How y'all doing this morning? It feels like spring, like spring is right around the corner. We're springing forward next week. It's exciting time with Easter. I am so pumped that you're here with us. My name is Katie, and I'm one of the pastors at Hope City Church. So whether you're in this room or joining us online, I want to welcome you as we continue our series, as we study the book of Galatians. And uh, this book written by the Apostle Paul is just one that we all need to learn from. Uh, And I'm excited that we're taking the next eight weeks to do that. But also what we've done as a staff, myself, Pastor Jason and Andrea and Pastor Joe put together a Bible reading plan. It's actually available on the YouVersion Bible app. For those of you who have the YouVersion Bible app, it's an amazing resource where you can have um, the Bible on your phone. So if you'll go ahead and take your phone out and text Galatians to, uh, this is Hope City Church's phone number. It's 502-754-3212. A link will come to you and you can uh, join this 18-day reading plan. Maybe send it, uh, do it with friends or your growth groups will be doing this as well. But we created this resource so that you can study Galatians while we also talk about Galatians. It's an awesome, awesome, awesome thing that um, our staff has done. So I'm really proud of us for that and just glad that you all get to join us in that. But Maybe you're thinking, like, why is this so important? Like, why are we studying this letter written thousands of years ago, thousands of years ago to people in Asia? What does that have to do with me? But last week, Pastor Jason talked to us about why Paul wrote this letter, why Paul wrote Galatians. And it was because it's addressing the first, like, real controversy in the church after Jesus' resurrection. So it's like 15 to 20 years after the resurrection. And uh, Paul had traveled to Galatia a few years before, and he preached the gospel and built churches. And then now these new preachers are coming in, and they are teaching another way, a different way. They're teaching that Christians, in order to be Christian, it wasn't enough that you just believe in Jesus. You also had to act Jewish. And what Paul is talking about is uh, specifically circumcision. And I don't think we struggle with that per se, whether or not uh, we're Christians and we have to act Jewish. But maybe you felt the pressure to act Christian. Like maybe you've had someone in your life go, I thought they were a Christian. You know, or maybe you felt the pressure to do certain things or not do certain things and you feel this pressure maybe from outside or maybe it's your own self. Maybe you think to yourself, I, I need to be a better Christian. Maybe you're wondering if you're doing enough. Am I doing enough? But we've all felt that pressure at some level. And Paul is writing because the Jewish teachers are telling the people, this is how you act Christian. But Paul is if he were to come to Galatia and say, how's it going? How's it going? The people would be like, oh, I'm doing so good. Like, I ordered my new Jewish study. I have my circumcision scheduled next week. And I am just, I'm not eating the things I'm not supposed to. I'm just doing really good. But Paul would tell them, you are walking away from Christianity. That's bold. Because they're trying to be better. They're walking away from Christianity. It's possible to act like a better Christian, but actually become less of a Christian. And that's what's happening to the Galatians, and that's what we struggle with. Maybe you thought, how good do I have to be? How bad can I be? How good is good enough? Sometimes you're like, I go to church. If I give an offering, I don't cheat on my spouse. I don't do this. I do this. Fill in the blank. Then I must be a Christian. 
And if you've ever tried to figure out what I should, should and shouldn't do, you're in good company because that's what the people of Galatia are struggling with and that's what we struggle with too. But Paul is going to prove the point over and over and over again that there's no such thing as a good Christian. That's our big idea. There's no such thing as a good Christian, and it's not about whether you're a good person or a bad person. It's about that you believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. It seems so foreign to us, especially those of us who have been in church for a long time, but Paul is writing to people that are already believers, and he's saying, stop trying so hard. Stop trying so hard. Stop trying to be good and be a better Christian because there's no such thing as a good Christian. Just believe in Jesus. It sounds simple, but it's not because we are hardwired to try to improve ourselves. We are hardwired to put it on ourselves to be better. We are guilty of trying to earn it, try to be more patient, more joy, less anger, trying to put all this pressure on ourselves and we walk away from Christianity, which is a belief in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Christianity is a belief in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And today we're going to read and we're going to continue for where Pastor Jason left off in the book of Galatians in chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Pastor Jason read this, last, this part last week, but I think it's important for us to look at it again. It says, verse 6, I am shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Jesus of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be good news, but it's not good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one who preached, who we, we preached to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news, then the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servants. This is bold. This is Paul, and he's saying, look, even if an angel comes down and tells you something different, don't believe him, because this is the good news. How did Paul become so passionate about that? And if you didn't know, Paul was actually Saul. He was a terrorist. He was killing Christians before this. He was trying to destroy Christianity, and he has this moment where he comes to a faith in Jesus, and he's like, I know the truth, and I want you to know the truth. So if we keep reading in verse 11, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source or no one taught me. Instead, I received it by the direct revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, you know what I, I was like when I followed the Jewish religion and how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews and my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. So Paul's saying, all of this happened so that I could proclaim the good news, not the pretend good news. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia and later returned to the city of Damascus. Then, three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle that I met at the time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God 
what I am writing to you is not a lie. Verse 21, after that visit, I went north into the province of Syria and Sicily, and still the churches of Christ, that the Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was what people were saying. People were saying about Paul, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith that he tried to destroy, and they praise God because of it. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can look to these letters in the Bible to be able to teach us things that we're wrestling with right now. God, I pray that you speak through me to the people um, listening to your message right now, that they're able to receive the good news, the good news that says that your son died on the cross for us so that we can have life and eternal life in heaven. God, we love you. God, open our hearts to your word today. In your holy name we pray, amen. So as I was preparing for this, I'm like, Thinking about Galatian, the book of Galatian, where it talks about here's the good news, and then they're talking about a different way, a way that pretends to be good news. And I think that there's some things in our life that pretend to be good news. Uh, one of the things I thought about was 0% financing on things like furniture. I don't know about you all, but when Brad and I first got married, 24 years old, we walk into furniture liquidators, and they're like, you can go home with a couch and a love seat and, and like tables and stuff, but you don't have to pay anything. And you're like, yes. That's good news. Zero percent financing, right? Zero percent. Go home, make a minimum payment, you'll be fine. But it's not good news because it's 27 percent interest if you miss a payment. And if you do not pay more than that minimum payment, at the end you still owe hundreds of dollars. And if you do not pay that, you got 27 percent interest. Zero percent financing pretends to be good news, but it's not, right? What about timeshares? Pretends to be good news, but it's not. Tanning bed memberships or gym memberships. Come on, y'all know somebody who's been paying a gym membership that hasn't been going. That's good news, but it's not, right? <laughs> auto pay. Oh my goodness, auto pay is good news. You automatically pay your bills until you look at your bank account six months and you're like, Beachbody has been taking $130 a month for six months and I haven't been drinking the Shakeology, right? <laughs> auto pay seems like it's good news. <laughs> Calories per serving. Until you're like, oh, the serving is not the entire bag of chips. <laughs> right? Or maybe Costco or Sam's buying in bulk, but then you're like swarming in toilet paper, you got all this stuff, and you're like, that seemed like good news at the time. Or NTI and distance learning, oh, we're going to be home, it's going to be so great, we're going to work, I'm going to work from home, and my kids will be there. Come on, parents, the good news was when they decided to go back to church, back to school two weeks ago, right? That's good news. There's things in our lives that we think is good news, and that's what happened is happening in Galatia. They're being taught that there's something that's pretending to be good news, a different way, a different way. And Paul is begging and pleading with them to recognize this false good news. And what was the good news, or what was the pretend good news? It was that the Jewish teachers were telling these new Christians that it's not simply enough to believe in Jesus. It's also Jesus plus something else. But they didn't do it like, it was very subtle because otherwise they would notice, right? It was like, okay, great, you believe in Jesus. Now here's how you become a better Christian. Here's how you become deeper, more committed. And Pastor Jason gave us his example last week and, then, and it was just so good that I just had to repeat it again where he compares the gospel to the false gospel because 
if you think about it, something that sounds like it's better for God will take you away from God. Something that sounds like good news for God can actually be pulling you away from God. So let's listen to these two explanations. Paul teaches the gospel is, because of your sin, someone had to pay the penalty of death and condemnation. But God loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin. And if you believe in Jesus, you can have eternal life. Jesus became like you so you could become like him. That's the gospel story. The false teachers were saying, because of your sin, someone has to pay the penalty of death and condemnation. But God loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin. And if you believe in Jesus and do what he wants you to do, you can have eternal life. Jesus became like you so you could become like him. Did you catch it? The gospel says believe. And the false teachers were saying believe and obey. Believe and behave. Believe and earn it. Believe and don't disappoint God. Believe and be all in. But maybe you're thinking, wait a second. Shouldn't I, want to, shouldn't I do the things God wants me to do? Well, of course. God gives us ways to have more joy and more peace in our life. But it's the motivation that makes the difference. You see, the gospel says, believe in Jesus and God's love will change you. The gospel is believe in Jesus and God's love will change you. And what the false teachers were saying, the false gospel says, believe in Jesus, change, and God will love you. Believe in Jesus, change, and God will love you. And this pretends to be good news. But like 0% financing like auto pay and timeshares, you discover that there's no freedom in it. In fact, the opposite is true. It turns into misery and slavery, and the Christians in Galatia are being fooled by what pretended to be good news. But we are guilty of that too. After we get saved, we think, what do I need to do now? What do I need to do better? Do I need, do I need to, what's my next step? What's the next thing I need to do? Do I think that you should read the Bible and pray and go to church? Absolutely. But the motivation has to be different. And if you've ever done these things just so to please God or try to please your mom or your pastor or your wife, then it feels like chains in slavery. You realize that like 0% interest rate, that's actually 27%. It's miserable and you become a slave to behavior modification. The false gospel is trying to be better for God and it sounds noble, and it sounds good. And if you've ever done it, you're putting your faith in yourself, and the true gospel is freedom. Because God loved you no matter what, not because you're better. And that God sent his only son to pay the penalty for our sins. Not because we tried harder, but because he loves us. All that change that needs to happen in your life and my life happens when I understand that I'm completely and utterly unconditionally loved by God. So great. We have good news, the gospel, and then we have pretend good news. So how do we know the difference? How do we know that we, what we have accepted is the gospel? If there is a different way, how can you know that you believe the truth? It's an important question. Do you believe the good news? Do you believe the gospel? Or is it possible an attempt to be a better Christian for God, you've walked away from God? 
When we read in Galatians, we see Paul as an example of what that looks like. How do we know that we know that we believe and accepted the gospel? And I believe that we look, we've read that in Galatians as Paul is talking. There are three ways you know you believe the gospel. The first way comes from verse 6. It says, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. Number one is you, are, you have been called. You have felt called. Now what does that mean, to feel called by God? What does that mean to feel called? Maybe you're like me, you grew up in church and you went to church all the time and it felt more like a push, like a religion, like push to believe. Or I you know, would say that I believed because that's what I was taught or what tradition told me and it felt pushed. But God doesn't push us, God calls us. God calls us. And religion pushes us to be better, to do different. But God says, come to me. Jesus literally says, come and follow me. And it doesn't have to be this sensational calling. Paul was like a light in the sky. But for you, the calling might have just been, all of a sudden you thought, I think I'm going to go to church today. That's God calling you. Or maybe you thought, I wonder what my purpose in life is. That's God calling you. Or maybe you sat in the waiting room or next to someone in the hospital that you loved and cared about and you thought about what happens next. That's God calling you. Your conversion or your moment probably wasn't as sensational as what Paul has, but there is going to be a moment where you feel God is calling you and drawing you in. God calling you is like a parent when they're trying to teach their kid how to jump into the pool. The parents don't stand behind their kids and push them, do they? They push them in the pool. I mean, some parents do. I don't know about you all. But, you know, <laughs> for the most part, what do parents do? They get in the pool and they say, come on, jump. I got you. Trust me. It's going to be great. Come on. That is God. That is what it's like when God is calling you. When God is calling you. Have you ever felt that? Felt the Holy Spirit calling you? Or have you been pushed by religion because it's, what, it's your, what you're supposed to do? God doesn't push us. God calls us. And I bet there's somebody here today or listening that God is calling you and you're scared to jump. But like the parent in the pool, God is saying, come on, just trust me. Just trust me. So when we're trying to figure out if what we believe is the true gospel or the pretend gospel, the first way is you felt God call you. And the second one is Jesus was revealed to you. Paul says in verse 11, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. Instead, I received it by a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. A direct revelation. What does that mean? What does a revelation mean? As I was thinking about this, like, what is a revelation? It's like driving past something a hundred times and never seen, and all of a sudden you see it, you're like, oh, there it is. Oh, yeah. I mean, I drove past this church a thousand times. Oh, there's Hope City, right? Another thing I thought of was this logo growing up. Um, I know you all recognize this, right? This is the Disney logo. But for a long time when I was little, I thought this was a G. I thought this was a G, and I was like, why is that a G? And then somebody's like, it's a, D oh, revelation. Of course it says Disney, it's a D, right? Or did you know that the Amazon logo, the 
real one, but I don't know, they just changed it recently. But the original Amazon logo, the um, arrow goes from A to Z because they give you anything from A to Z, comes in Amazon. What? Revelation. <laughs> revelation. The revelation of Jesus is like a spiritual aha moment. You're like, huh, I had no idea. It's been Jesus all along. Many people, and myself included, know the historical events in the Bible and the crucifixion and the resurrection. You grow up learning all these things, and that's great and everything. But then all of a sudden, you have this aha moment, and you finally understand your sin. You finally understand Jesus' saving grace. The way my seven-year-old daughter Presley describes it, she's like, Mom, you didn't teach me how to lie. I just lie because I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. That's a revelation right there, you know? So when you realize that our hearts are deceitful and we're born sinners, God reveals our need for a Savior. Paul says it's not on human reasoning. It's not on what's going on up here. It's a direct revelation from Jesus. Our brains cannot comprehend it. And one way you know that Jesus has revealed himself to you is that you can write out your testimony or you can say there was a moment I was sitting there, I had heard a thousand sermons, but just one day, I just, it just clicked. There's actually a really great example of this. It's in the Gospel of Luke where after Jesus' resurrection, his, two of his followers are walking and he shows up and starts walking with them. It's in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. It says, the same day, of the same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking into the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So he's walking with two of his followers that have known him. This is after he has risen from the dead. He's walking with them, and they're not recognizing him. They get to, um, they get to their end of their journey. So we're going to skip down to verse 28. Where it says, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus in the, end of, in the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them as they sat down to eat. He took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it, gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And in that moment, he disappeared and they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scripture to us? Wow. That's a revelation. C.S. Lewis says, describes his moment when he came to faith in Jesus. says, before God closed in on me, I was offered what now appears to be a moment of holy free choice. But I feel my decision was not so important. I was the object rather than the subject. In this affair, I was decided upon. What he's describing is a moment when Jesus is revealed to him. Your heart burns within you. The followers were walking with Jesus, hearing him talk about scripture. And they said, our heart was burning within us and their eyes were opened. They were no longer blind and they saw, have you ever felt that way? Like something is inside of you. Something burning is inside of you. And you're like, I don't know what it is. But all of a sudden, your eyes are open and it's Jesus. And he's been there all along. For me, the moment I realized it, I had been in church my entire life. And then I realized it. I was like, all of a sudden, it just came out of my eyeballs. Like I'm just crying. I'm like, I have no idea why I'm crying. But something about today, I realized God's grace and God's mercy 
I had heard a hundred sermons, hundreds of church services, but that day something was burning inside of me. And I was talking to someone uh, earlier and we were talking about this and she said, actually, sometimes it's like, I feel it again. Like a song comes on or reminds me of that moment or someone explains the cross and I feel it again. Something inside of me that's burning and it's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus reveals himself to you. Maybe for, for you all it was a moment or a process where you received the good news and your eyes were open and you realized the sacrifice that Jesus made while we were still his enemy. The sacrifice that he made on the cross so that we can live. You were decided upon Maybe you're feeling that right now. Maybe you've been feeling it for a few weeks, but you didn't know what it was, but you can't help but think it's always been Jesus. Or you're driving down the road and you're like, Jesus loves me no matter what. Wow. It's possible to be in church your entire life and never have a revelation of Jesus. But when you do and you can't explain it, that's when you really start getting it. (laughs) That's when you really start getting it. So to know the difference between the false gospel and the good news, the gospel is, do you feel like you've been called? Have you had a moment where Jesus revealed himself to you? And the third one is you are being transformed. You are being transformed. This is in verse 13. It says, Paul is saying, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how violently I persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. And then later, someone is describing Paul, and they said, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. Paul's transformation is extremely drastic. And maybe yours isn't as much, but make no mistake, when you follow Jesus, life begins to transform. Things begin to change. And it's not like change external, because you can make external changes, You can stop doing things that you were once doing by changing who you're hanging around with or moving cities. That's that's external change. But transformation is internal. It's internal. It requires an outside source. It's like a caterpillar being transformed into a butterfly. A caterpillar cannot transform himself into a butterfly. It requires an outside source. We cannot transform ourselves on our own power. But it's also worth pointing out that Paul's transformation took time. It says he went away for three years. So after placing your faith in Jesus, we are still going to struggle with sin and temptation and those things. But a different person, but you will become a different person, not because you tried harder, but because Jesus is transforming your life. Changing yourself won't make Jesus love you anymore, but loving Jesus will transform you. What you live for, what you desire, everything changes about that. But it usually happens in hindsight. Like all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, I'm not as angry as I used to be. I'm not as greedy as I used to be. It's like when you're so focused on being different, like I need more patience. I need more patience. I need to try harder. I need to do these things. You are so focused on that, you don't allow God to transform you. It's like when you have the hiccups, you're like drinking water or you're holding your breath and you're trying to get rid of the hiccups and all of a sudden you're like, the hiccups went away. Where'd they go? It's not like happening while you're holding your breath. It's happening in hindsight. And the same thing is true with transformation in our lives. We think all the time, I need to stop this. I need to start this. I need to do this. I need to be more joyful. I need to read my Bible more. I need to do these things. 
But what happens is when you allow God to transform you, you look back and you're like, all of a sudden, I have more joy. All of a sudden. So my husband, Brad, he works in construction, and it's predominantly a field full of uh, men. And he's been around these guys for 13 years. He's been following Jesus for about nine. And um, it wasn't until recently his foreman said something kind of inappropriate, I guess. And he looked at Brad and was like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Like, I know you've uh, turned over a new leaf. And Brad's like, what? Because Brad has struggled with anger most of his life. Struggled with his temper and... I remember days he would get upset with himself and beat himself up like, man, I can't believe I got mad again and cursed at him or did these things. And I'm trying. I'm really trying. But it wasn't until Brad quit trying and he let God begin to transform him. And he, Brad didn't even notice until his boss said, made that comment. And Brad's like, huh? I guess I am a little less angry. He didn't realize that God was transforming him. One of my favorite stories about this, you'll hear why in a second, but he's sitting there and unfortunately in this, um, these guys are you know, complaining about how miserable they are in their marriages and things like that. And Brad's just eating his lunch and one day a guy's like, isn't it crazy we're all married and we're all miserable except Brad? And it's not that Brad was talking about how amazing I am or trying to tell people how awesome his marriage is. It's because God was transforming him and he was different than he was before. There's so many examples of that in my life and your life as you let God begin to transform your marriages and yourself and you have more joy and you have more peace. We can all try to improve externally changes, read books like Atomic Habits and Compound Effect. I read a book once about how to clean my house better. Like you can, you can do those changes, right? But the internal stuff has to, it requires an outside source. It requires Jesus. Brad tried for years to stop snapping or, you know, going off on people. And when he did, he felt shame and guilt about it. But when God began to transform and he looked back and was like, when did I become less angry? And I'm like, I have no idea. Thank you, Jesus. Right? In the book of Romans, uh, Paul writes another, he wrote another book to the book of to the Romans, and it's in verse, chapter 12, uh, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I've been guilty of reading this scripture thinking, don't copy the custom and behaviors that are bad in this world. But it is possible that you're also copying the good behaviors too. That you're trying to be a better Christian, trying to do things on your own strength, and you're just copying the hate behaviors. But what does Paul say for us to do? It says, let God transform you. Let God transform you. Allow God to transform you. That is how you know you had the true gospel. And if you hear me saying you have to change for God to love you, you are not hearing me. God's love will transform you, will change you. But he loves you no matter what. And when you know you are loved by God and you will desire to please him and do things for him. I'm actually going to show you a video that I watched recently. And it's, um, it's actually a video of Justin Bieber. 
And I by no means endorse Justin Bieber. I don't know much about him except my kids like his music sometimes. But um, it's actually just a beautiful articulation of the gospel of watching him explain it. So I'm going to share that with you all right now. Like, but in a way, you're kind of trying to get better because you recognize there's something that is unresolved here in a weird way. Right, right, right. right. I just didn't know what the heck was going on. And so... I really took a deep dive in my faith, to be honest. I just went deep into, like, I believed in Jesus, but I never really, like, you know, when it says following Jesus is actually turning away from sin. Mm. And so there's no, what, what it talks about in the Bible, it's like there's no obedience. There's no faith without obedience. So it's like I had had faith about, like, oh, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, but I never really implemented it mm. into my life. I never, like, was like, I'm going to be obedient um, so I was like, I wasn't sleeping around. I wasn't doing a lot of stuff. I just was kind of by myself. And how did you, how did you make, who helped you come to that? Because I'm sure there were a lot of, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way. It's just right. humanity and everyone's on their own journey. There are a lot of people who are practicing one belief or another. But as you say, it's different when you, when you say it as opposed to actually acting within its, right. its, its, its guidelines, which are there right. to give you ultimate focus, right? Mm -hmm. on what's important. So when did you decide to actually move within the guidelines and how did you find yourself away from, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to drink or do drugs or sleep around or what, all these other distractions. Right. How did you get out of that world? What was the turning point for you? I think it was my perception of who Jesus really was, you know? Um, I'd had really bad examples of Christians in my life uh, who would say one thing and do another. So they were the, my direct example of who Jesus was. That's why you didn't take it seriously. I didn't take it as seriously because I didn't have good examples. Good role models. Yeah, and so I think the more I, I really, just really looked at the character of who Jesus really was. Did you grow up in a, in a, in a, in a Christian household? I grew up um, in, a, in a Christian household, yeah. But my mom was, um, I mean, she was really hurt growing up. I mean, she had so many things going on in her life. So she was navigating her faith journey. For me, it was just confusing because she'd say one thing and then like she would say, well, you're forgiven, but then I'd do something bad or whatever was supposedly bad, but then I'd f she'd make me feel ashamed for it. So it's like, well, if Jesus forgives me, then why am I feeling, why are you making me feel bad for doing something? Like, obviously there's like a form of like, we should, we got to make sure we keep our kids accountable and punish our kids so that they learn from their mistakes but like if there's this god named jesus who died for our sins so that we don't have to live in shame then why it was just things like that that would make me really question like who is this jesus guy and i didn't really take a deep look into who he was that's know? tough i mean i get it like there's hey man our parents do the best they can mm -hmm. and i've been through my own you know situations where yeah. i've confronted the things that have affected my life's choices. Exactly. But at some point, you've got to come to a decision. You've got to take responsibility for your own perception of those situations, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Otherwise, you run around just blaming everybody, and that's an entitled situation, right? Yeah, it's so good. It entitles you to behave however you want. You know 100%. what I mean? You know, I guess that's what I was getting at when I was talking about those, those tough years, is in a way, you were punishing yourself because you didn't have the answers, right? Mm -hmm. I think so. That's a good way to put it, yeah. I think that I was just, yeah, living in this shame, living in all this sort of stuff of my past, and I wasn't able to move on. But the more I looked at it, so now I'm not doing, the way I look at my relationship with God and with Jesus is I'm not trying to earn God's love. 
by doing good things. God has already loved me for who I am before I did anything to earn and deserve it. It's a free gift by accepting Jesus and just giving your life to him. And what he did is the gift. The forgiveness is the thing that we look at and you know, I'm gonna worship you God because you gave me something so good. And so you live that life of like, I don't wanna cheat on my wife, not because it's the right thing to do, but because I don't wanna hurt her. See the difference there? It's, that is love. Yeah. It's, it's You're like, putting the well-being of someone that you care about ahead of your own fallibilities and your own exactly. previous behavior. Exactly. And what's, you know, what's out there. Exactly. I love that he said that I didn't have to do anything to earn God's love. But then he compared it to his wife where it's like, I don't not cheat on her because it's not bad. It's, I do it because I love her. And that's the way it is with God. When we accept God loves us, we are transformed into a different person and the things that we do changes. And so I want you to, we have a few moments of service left and during this time, I just wanna encourage you to pray and reflect and just try to decide like if what you're believing is the gospel or if it's something that pretends to be good news. Do you feel pushed by religion and what the things that you're supposed to do or do you feel called? Do you feel like God is in the pool waiting for you to jump in? Do you feel like he's called you? Have you had a moment where all of a sudden you just didn't even know why but you walked through the doors of Hope City Church that day and you felt called to come back to him? Or maybe you were sitting there watching a family member suffer and you felt called. Or maybe all of a sudden you raised your hand to get saved and you don't even know how it happened, but all of a sudden you did because you felt called. So have you had a moment where you felt like God was calling you? And have you had an aha spiritual revelation moment where you're like, it's been Jesus all along. I just now realized it. I just now realized it. Maybe it was during a sermon or a worship song or a podcast, you've had a moment where you're like, it was Jesus and I didn't even know it. Was there a moment that you were able to, where the Spirit, the Holy Spirit burned within you and you could not deny, you could not help but accept that it was Jesus? And are you being transformed? Are you trying to improve on your own behavior and do things differently for yourself? Or are you allowing God to transform you? If you can't say yes to these questions, it might be that you're following a false truth, a false gospel. But the good news is, no matter how far you are in your journey, you can always turn around and accept Jesus as your Savior and accept the good news that says that Jesus died on the cross so that we can live. That even while we were sinning and sinners and the enemy of Jesus, he came and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And that's what we're going to celebrate in a few weeks on Easter is the true gospel. So have you been called? Has Jesus revealed himself to you? And are you allowing God to transform you? I don't want to make you feel guilty or ashamed, but it is a moment that we ought to reflect to make sure that we are following the good news. So if you've been coming here and you've been church for 50 years or this is your first day, we want to always give someone an opportunity for that. And I'm going to pray for us, but then in a moment we're going to sing a song together and Pastor Joe is going to come up and give someone an opportunity to accept Jesus as their Savior. So if you'll pray with me, God, we thank you so much for the good news. 
the good news that says we don't have to earn it because we'll never be good enough. God, that you sent your son to pay the penalty for our sins, that you sent him so that we can live if we accept and believe in him, that it's just a belief in him that transforms us, not anything else, God. God, I pray for anyone that is struggling to um, follow this good news or accept that it's just because it's just too good to be true, God, that you just speak to their hearts right now for them to know that you love them no matter what, not because they're better or they've earned it, but because of you and your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son to die on the cross so that we may live in freedom and not be chained up by being morally good or chained up by sin, God, that we can be free in you. In your holy name we pray, amen.